Coaching Podcast is to encourage and equip those who are called by God to provide spiritual direction to the Church of Jesus Christ. We're teaching warriors to fight for the human heart because only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Hey, welcome guys. This is Season 2 of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. My goal is to equip anyone with a bent towards spiritual coaching and, and those who frequently have spiritual conversations by offering training and truth along with the much-needed encouragement that we often miss. In this season, we're going to move forward from the philosophical foundations of spiritual coaching that we covered in Season 1 and move on to discuss the heart of the spiritual coach themselves. Be sure to go back and make certain that you didn't miss any of the episodes from Season 1 because what is coming is based on what has already been covered. I do this for you because healthy hearts, only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. My spiritual coaching page where you can find con- helpful content in holding spiritual conversations and doing spiritual coaching is tworivers.church backslash life coaching hyphenate life coaching. Today we continue with audio from a spiritual retreat I did for our leadership in an outside setting. Listening to the recording, I discovered that ripping through a podcast script is much different from presenting live. Uh, several things I realized, like I say um too often, most of which I edited out. Uh, and, and in um, a public setting, I don't know, I just use more pause and voice inflection for emphasis than when I'm sitting here recording in my home studio. And it kind of makes me think that maybe I should give you guys more range and inflection and variation in my voice so it doesn't get boring when I record my podcast. I do apologize for the occasional dips in volume that you'll encounter because of the live presentation. So I also edit out several bits that uh, pertained only to our crowd that I was speaking to, some conversations you really couldn't hear anyway, several sniffs that followed in an emotional moment I had. So when it does get uh, slightly choppy, don't fear that you missed something important. I assure you that you did not. If you either like or dislike the live content, uh, feel free to email me at uh, Kerry at Two Rivers Church. That's K E R R Y at Two Rivers Church. I'm just wondering what you guys think about the live content uh, as opposed to the, the the normal podcast content that I give you. Uh, also, feel free to message me from my new Twitter handle at PKSC Podcast. That's the letters PKSC. And then the word podcast, PK for Pastor Kerry, SC for Spiritual Coaching. PK, Spiritual Coaching Podcast. Now to today's content. In the book, We Are Driven, they analyzed the the typical occupations of people that have driven personalities. These are the three most prominent types of occupations for people that are driven. Entrepreneurial positions. We're, we're a brand new five-year-old movement, and, and, and Will is always talking about being entrepreneurial, doing stuff that's never been done before. High-pressure business positions. Well, you're all leaders. You're all also, most of you, at the top somewhere. And this one is the best, the rescuing profession. Medical, social, work, ministry, <laughs> counseling, teaching. Those are the three career fields that attract driven people. Isn't that interesting? I saw that and I said, wow, that is an alarm just blaring in my face for the season our church is in right now. 
being young. Now is the time for us to get some of these things as leaders figured out, to process, to sit with that interior landscape and figure it out, to get our own voice, to be able to speak from that voice, not someone else's voice, not wearing a mask. Those, uh, these professionistic super achievers that fill in these kind of jobs, okay? Their drivenness makes them characteristically successful. But there's more than one way to measure success. And getting to the top isn't always one of them. Being driven isn't necessarily bad, okay? Being driven isn't necessarily bad. I think something kind of drives all of us, right? That's God's design. It's kind of the way he made us to be like that. The question is, what is our driver? You can get to the top without character, but you need character to stay there. So uh, let me tell a quick story on myself. And those of you that have um, done my, uh, the spiritual health checkups that we do for leadership know that one of the questions on those is kind of a two-sided thing. Is there anything, what's your most recent spiritual victory and your most spirit recent spiritual defeat? And one of the things I found is that really is the same question a lot of times. Because it's something you guys struggle with, but then you push through it, and God brings you to victory. So it's really two sides of the same coin. So uh, I, I, let me just tell you a little story about that on myself here. And what I want to do is tell you, first of all, how my heart was not in the right place, and how knowing it wasn't going to be saved my rear end. I knew my heart wasn't going to be in the right place, and it wasn't. I did not do well with this. But I knew it. The point here is that even if you're still growing, even if you're still maturing, even if there's still parts of your identity that you don't have all worked out yet, you've got to know it. You've got to know what your weaknesses are. You've got to know where the chinks in your armor are. You've got to know where your blind spots are. Because if you don't know, you can't protect. So back at the beginning of the year, I had a conversation with Will. And uh, we were just talking about moving forward. And he mentioned that he wasn't always going to be able to be the, the campus pastor at Two Rivers Binghamton. And uh, we talked about several things, but one of the things he said in that conversation was, hey, that could be you. I mean, maybe that's a, maybe that's a job that you could step up to. And now he didn't offer me a job. He didn't offer it to me at all. It was among a couple other things. When Will said that, something happened in my heart. I felt it immediately. I was flattered. I was equally excited and alarmed. The possibilities were exciting but a good portion of my motivation for being excited about that, it alarmed me. The voice in my heart was clearly not humble. Almost that quickly, I knew there was a very pressing danger that I needed to avoid at all costs. It had to do with this aspect of my motivation for wanting that position. Now, it wasn't all tainted, but how much tainting does it take for it to be tainted? How much dirt does it take to be dirty? Uh, it had to do with this motivation in my heart. I was concerned about the part of my heart, part of my motivation for wanting that job. Um, and I actually uh, contacted my, my two out-of-state accountability friends, told them about it, said, you've got you to talk to me about this because this is not good. Um, see, I, I was rightly concerned that I'd let the affirmation and the prestige and the, the chance to tell certain people about my new appointment, about my promotion, uh, I knew it was going to cloud my judgment. I knew it was. The job I mused would build my street cred. But why did I need my street cred built? I was very worried that I would not um, turn down the opportunity. 
if God told me to. I seriously was concerned. I would say yes if, if I was asked, even if God told me no. In fact, I was not sure I was even gonna hear anything from God. I was so blinded. It so took my heart. It took me over. I run into this before, it wasn't the first time. I just told God I was gonna wait for his confirmation. I told him I wanted his plan over mine. I told him to protect me. I said, don't let me screw this up. Don't let me screw this up. And sometimes when you make decisions and you feel like your wife and kids have paid the price for your decisions, I didn't want to do this again. Over about four months, I gradually started getting the hint that the answer was supposed to be no. And not only did I not trust myself, but apparently God didn't either. Because he gave the decision to Will, and Will gave the job to John. I could have been more relieved in the world. Oh, seriously. I didn't want, I did not want to make that decision. It wasn't going to go good. I, I talked myself into believing it wasn't going to go good. Now, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I was so afraid I would have said no either way. I don't know what was going to happen. But I did not want the chance to screw it up. So God gave the John, and John is the person for the job. Yeah. I have not had as much clarity about my purpose and my vision in a long time. And it started that very day that John got the will said, I gave the job to John. I would like to say to you that I was mature enough to not be flattered. I'd like to say I was in a well enough place myself, in my, in my heart, to not have been so taken over by, I mean, there was one particular person I could think of that I was waiting to tell. I was dreaming of thinking about how I was going to word it and how I was going to drop it on him and how I was going to let him know that I had been promoted to the campus pastor. What I want you to hear is not that I did it right, but that I knew I was going to screw it up, and that saved my butt. You don't have to be perfect to be safe leaders. You just have to be self-aware. If you're waiting to be a perfect leader, wow, you've got a long way. You have to be self-aware of these things. So when you're aware and the thing happens in your heart, you go, oh, I know what that is. I, I knew what it was immediately. I, I mean, I knew it because some years ago, I got turned down for a job that I'd been the interim pastor for a long time and I thought I was going to get the, the, the head job and I didn't get the head job. And I was in such a broken place that it was bad. It, I took a hit personally. My inside, my person, because who I was took a hit. It was a personal blow. It was a slight. I felt less. Self-knowledge will protect you from the remaining self-doubt. Proverbs 27, 21 says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. God tested me that day that period of four months, and I learned something about myself. I learned that I wasn't quite where I thought I was. All you have to do is get offered a promotion and you're gonna know how well you're doing. <laughs> Just the idea that maybe something could possibly destroy me. Going through the process and growing 
I talked to my family about it. I actually put this out in front of uh, our small group is actually our family. We're discipling our kids and our, our adopted kids and our uh, bio, uh, non-biologicals and uh, the, the Weaver twins. And we've got a couple others we're throwing in there now. So when we do small group, there's a whole room full of people and they're all family. So they're all Ohana, all right? They're, they're, all, they're, they're all family, and that's our small group. And I put it out there in front of them. I said, this has happened, and oh, boy, I'm not sure about this. I told my, my accountability partners and told my wife, and uh, God protected me. Remember I told you the guy saved me more times than I can count? Yeah, there was one right there. So here's three cautions. Number one is just about self-promotion. And, and I want to talk to you for a minute about the problem of our culture, our culture is a self-promoting culture. Did you, do you know that, right? The one that kills me, the one that actually makes me mad sometimes is the end zone dances these guys do. Oh, yeah. I don't care about the dance, what it looks like so much, is they act like, and they'll do this to point themselves. And what, what I don't like about that is it takes teamwork to make the dream work. So here they are in the end zone thinking they marched on the field themselves, or at least acting like it. We are in this culture where self-promotion is just the way we roll. And unfortunately, Jesus taught that when we walk into a room, we're not supposed to promote ourselves to the front of the room. We're supposed to choose for ourselves a place of humility. And if we're going to get promoted, let someone else promote us. But we're not supposed to be promoting ourselves. I, I say this to extroverts and introverts, to those of you that are extroverts. You've got to be very careful. Because I've noticed in extroverts is they... they Promoting themselves is just natural. They just hook up with other relationships. They just go find people and, and they connect with them. They're connecting all over the room. And that's fine. As long as your inside of the cup is clean. But then there's those of us that are introverts. Those of us that are introverts, we hold back. We reserve. We check ourselves. Which is all right. As long as the inside of the cup is clean. Sometimes we introverts need to put ourselves out there. And sometimes you extroverts need to pull yourself back. How are you going to know? Make sure the inside of your cup is clean. Let me change that for you. Make sure the inside of your cup is self-aware. I don't know how a cup's going to be self-aware, but you got the analogy, right? Okay. The, the self-awareness is what you're after here. Knowing how you react in a thing. And you don't know that unless you've gone back through and processed your history. Work through the history. So, um, um, in our culture, it's not just normal or expected, uh, but self-promotion is actually seen as morally right. It's what you're supposed to do. No one can, you, you, hey, hey, you're, you're not gonna, never going to make it in the world. Don't put yourself out there. Yes and no. Of course, that comment completely leaves God out of the picture. Somewhere in here, I've got comments to make about um, always having to be the best. Oh my gosh, our culture is consumed. And, it com and it's in the church, by the way. This is in the church. Having to be the best, being on top, being the champion. You know what? Not everything in my life is important enough for me to for me to become the champion in that. I will not sacrifice my life and my time and my limited reserves becoming the champion of that thing. No way. I'll be okay dabbling in that thing. I'll be okay getting beaten that thing. I'll be okay actually having fun because I am not giving my life to that. 
But you listen to these sports commentary. I was watching, when I was working on this, I was um, watching Wimbledon. Um, our, our baby girl was born around Wimbledon time. So we got, uh, it's just kind of a celebrative time in our family because we celebrate the birth of our child. And uh, we watched Wimbledon because that's what we did while we sat in the hospital waiting for her to be born because she was 21 days late. <sighs> Don't let me bring up that. 18. It seemed like 21 years, okay? It was a lot. Well, how many was it? Uh, next time I tell, it'll be 30 days late. So, you know. Either way. Either way. She was late. She was not coming out. She was happy where she was. So, uh, um, listening to these commentators, the disdain they had for a particular athlete who had only risen to 30 or 40 best in the world, and the, the things they said about him, he's loved by everybody on the team. He's got great family relationships. He's got all this great stuff going for him. And they couldn't say anything nice about him because he had fun out there. Because he, he wasn't committed. And then they started talking about the top players and how they ignored their family and how Serena Williams missed her baby's first steps to play a freaking game. And I'm thinking, wow, our priorities out of line. You don't want to be the best at everything you put your hand to. Doesn't that sound like anti-American? This idea of self-promotion and, and humility and not promoting ourselves, okay? If you think this is not a biblical theme, you have not read your Bible. Because I just gave you a, a, Proverbs and, and Psalms here. I just unloaded on you. I just found a bunch of stuff and threw it all in there, man. It is a theme of the Bible that we are not to be promoting ourselves all the time. to give your brain a rest. If you would like to connect with Pastor Carrie to offer feedback, to suggest topics for future episodes, or to ask a question, there are a few easy ways to do that. You can message him on Twitter. Just search for at TRCSCP. That's an at sign followed by the letters TRCSCP. If you prefer Facebook Messenger, you can search for at PK Spiritual Coaching. That's at PK Spiritual Coaching. Or you can simply email him at carry at tworivers.church. As you might expect, we'd appreciate it if you'd rate us on iTunes and like and share the podcast as well as our Twitter and Facebook pages so that other church leaders and spiritual coaches can find this helpful content. All right, let's return now to our current episode of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. Uh, the second thing is, and, and this one we got to talk through a little bit, and we don't have time to do that, so we're not going to. I'm going to leave this one with you for a little bit to figure out on your own, but here it is. You ready for this? God's provision is not equal to God's pleasure. Don't mistake God's grace and mercy for approval. Don't we know that God's grace comes to us while we were yet sinners? Do you think his grace to us as sinners is approval of our sin? I don't think so. God is often gracious to us in spite of us, not because of us. I've heard around Two Rivers a lot, and I believe this is true, that where God calls you, he will provide for you. But sometimes we get messed up the idea that if he provides for us, he's pleased with us. And you made a wrong turn. 
just because you're experiencing God's pleasure or, or God's approval, uh, sense of God's approval, his provision in your life, doesn't mean he's pleased with you. Would you like proof? God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I was reading, I'm reading through um, the period of the, uh, I'm reading through my Bible this year, and I'm at the period in, um, right before the Babylonian deportation. And if you read from uh, about halfway through King Solomon's reign, and you go through all those kings, right? You know how the story goes. And Hezekiah became the king, and he did right, or he did evil, and he did not remove all the high places and all the stuff, right? Guess what? God still showed up and fought their battles. Over and over and over and over and over. God showed up when a king was not faithful at clearing all the idols out of the land. He still showed up and fought their battles. God will fight your battles. But doesn't necessarily mean he's pleased with what got you to the place where you needed him to fight the battle. We cannot assume if God brings... Now, so if God has called us to a thing, to do a thing, we feel that, and God provides that thing for us, that's one thing. But if we just assume we're not sure of the calling, we don't have the calling, and we look at provision as confidence that the... You've taken a wrong turn. You've possibly taken a wrong turn. Here's what I find out about God in my life. God has blessed me over and over and over and over again in spite of my attempts to destroy my life. In spite of my attempts to destroy my marriage. God has rescued me over and over and over. <coughs> That's how he rolls. It's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called redemption. I've got to leave that one for you guys to kind of think on and muse a little bit. But this is a caution for us going forward. We've got to be careful about doing and saying yes to promote ourselves. That can't be the reason we expand. That cannot be the reason to, um, to combat our inner demons, to convince ourselves that we are all that, that we are all we need, that we are all the... We can't do it for that reason. We also have to be very careful that just because an, a door is open and there's an opportunity, that doesn't necessarily mean God wants us to walk through it. And that's point three. God's provision doesn't mean that he's pleased with us, but also, and this point of self-sacrifice, a willing sacrifice can be a sin. Did you hear what that sounded, right? A willing sacrifice, a religious, spiritual sacrifice can still be sin. Just because you're sacrificing something doesn't mean God's pleased with you. Even seemingly religious and worshipful acts, acts can be disobedient. And Saul is my example on this. There's a story, 1 Samuel 13, where Samuel has an or Saul has an opportunity. Here, here's, here's my challenge to us. Every open door, every opportunity for us as a church is not necessarily a door we are supposed to walk through. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Just because it's a God-sized challenge doesn't mean it's a challenge he wants us to take on. These are things we have to be careful as we go forward. Saul, or Paul, or King Saul had this opportunity. The Midianites were coming again and his, he's losing. 
Soldiers are running and hiding, and Samuel said, wait. It's my job to offer the offering. I will do it. You wait. I will be there. And Saul's getting nervous. He sees this opportunity slipping away. If I don't act now, it won't be there tomorrow. How many times have you bought something you shouldn't bought on that sales pitch? <laughs> if I don't act now, the opportunity will be gone. But he had a command. Samuel the prophet had told him, don't do this. Saul got antsy. And guess what he did? He offered a sacrifice. Put it on the altar. He said in his mouth, I needed God's blessing, so I did it myself. I didn't wait. I couldn't wait. I did it myself. That was the day that God took the kingdom from Saul's family. Samuel shows up and says, this day you have lost your right to rule. God has chosen another whose heart is after him. He saw the opportunity. He saw it slipping away. We know he was poorly self-differentiated by the rest of his story. And he couldn't wait any longer, and he did it himself. He sacrificed. I just offered the sacrifice. I know I ignored my family, but I just offered the sacrifice. I know I worked too much, but I just offered a sacrifice. I know I was never at home, and I was always at church, but I just offered a sacrifice. I know we can't pay these bills now that we've taken on, but I just offered a sacrifice. Going forward, we have to be well differentiated. And you know, you follow Saul's story. You guys know Saul's story. He was so jealous, he tried to pin David to the wall with a spear multiple times. And David's there playing his guitar, right, making him feel better. And he still wants to pin him to the wall. Literally, David hears this, because the salt here's the spear right next to him. He dodges and dies. Jealousy consumed him. He, he, he gets so out of sync with God that he goes and consults the witch of Endor to try to get some leading to know what to do. You work that backwards, you know that the day he offered that sacrifice, he saw the opportunity, and it was doing something to his heart. And instead of obey, he sacrificed. And sacrifice was a sin. He offered a sacrifice God never asked for. He will never ask you to sacrifice people for producing. Those are sacrifices God doesn't ask for. Opportunity can be the enemy's best strategy against a wounded heart. Opportunity can be the enemy's best tactic and strategy when he's trying to divert a wounded heart. We can't say yes and we can't say no out of a competitive spirit. Who are we competing against? Except maybe ourselves. Let me just throw this other thought to you on this. My priority is obedience, not being the champion. And, and, and I'll tell you what, right now, here's one reason why being the champion, being the best, isn't my priority. Because in order to be the best, I have to compare myself to somebody else. Which means I'm not differentiating myself. My sense of approval is based on whether or not I can beat you. And so my identity is tangled up in yours. So I know that is not the place I need to be. Obedience, extreme loyalty to our Lord and Savior. That's where you need to be. The only way we can lose 
is that we have an, uh, an e uh, we're driven by an ego rather than our loyalty to God. An ego that's little more than compensation for our inner wounding. An ego that drives us to constantly withdraw so we never have to face a defeat that further crushes our heart. Or an ego that, that, that's determined to prove itself to yourself and to the world no matter what it costs so you never say no. See both sides of that? It's still pride when you don't try because you're afraid of failing. That's still ego. You don't want to look bad. In an organization like ours, we leaders need to be very wary, very careful to be as well as we know how to be and to be growing in how well we know to be well. <laughs> All right? We've got to be growing better at growing better. <laughs> We've got to get good at being well differentiated. We've got to get better at knowing ourselves. We've got to be growing into that. A heart sickened by brokenness drives motivations that will pollute and taint an otherwise God-sized vision. We might grasp for too much, not knowing our place or not accepting it. And we may use the truth that God is a big God or the lie that small dreams and small prayers offend a big God to allow or promote our agenda for the kingdom. I've heard this. I've heard this. Um, God's offended by small dreams. God's offended by small prayers. If what you have to give them is small, the widow's only, small prayers honor a big God. Because they're still prayers. Small dreams honor a big God. Because there's still a dream you're giving to him. I think we need to be careful around here not to think lightly or disapprovingly or disrespectfully of what is small, what is normal, what is consistent, what is mundane, what is unexciting, what is unimpressive, boring, small, and habitual. I think we need to be careful not to despise small beginning. You know, emotionalism sells, but emotionalism is dangerous in part because we can't always have the tintillating emotions. It doesn't work that way. What is quiet, what is calm, what is dreary, what is not sexy, is the majority of life. And that's not bad. Again, I always think of Brother Lawrence washing the dishes, practicing the presence of God. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't miraculous. It wasn't huge. I think we can divert our hearts by being too focused on big expressions of God's reality that we despise the small ones. I think that's dangerous. Do we expect God to do big things? You bet you sweet baby we do. Do we know he'll do big things? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's going to have to. So the plans we have for our church is going to have to. That's the only way it's going to work. Sometimes the greatest prosperity is just found in joy and peacefulness of heart. Overflowing with contentment and ease. Sometimes success is doing nothing the way Mary did it. Sometimes success is only being number 50, not being the champion, but enjoying life, having fun, a family that loves you, a family that knows you, that has your heart, that has your attention. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes that's the big win. Sometimes 
Faithfully, consistently doing the little thing is the big win. It's big stuff. To show up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday doing what no one sees, what no one thinks, which no one understands, which no one knows how much of your own money you spent and of your own time and all of that stuff. There will be reward in heaven for that. Amen. People come to Jesus simply because you got in a van and you drove somebody to church. Yeah. That ain't sexy. But it's faithful. To be constantly expecting or needing um, the miraculous can short-circuit the normal way God works. God doesn't normally work in the miraculous. He does it a lot. A lot more than we even know. We don't even see him sometimes. He does big things for us. We even miss it. Constantly expecting that, he, that it can short-circuit the way God works. And the way we need to work is to keep up to speed with God what he's doing, what he's doing around us, and the speed he's doing it. So, you know, let me just say this to you that, you know, we have that saying around here, um, leaders go first. Let me challenge you to go first in your interior castle. Yeah. Teresa of Avalos. She's a mystic. She writes some weird stuff and has some really weird experiences I can't even explain. <laughs> but she talks about your interior castle. When I'm coaching, I will constantly talk to people and say, well, I don't know where God is in your life. Maybe he's just on your porch. Maybe you've invited him into your living room. Maybe he's gotten all the way to your kitchen. Maybe he's found his way into your bedroom. I don't know. But often we have these little closets, these little spaces in our heart. We've closed them off, and we haven't even been there in a long time. We don't even know what's in there. And they're locked and shut. And Jesus comes in and says, Carrie, what's in that closet? Oh, I don't even know, but you don't want to go there. Anything with that. You can't go in there. I'm not going there. I've already done that. I'm not doing that again. I tried doing that. I couldn't do anything with it. It didn't work. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy right now. I, I can't take on that emotional. I can't go there. And so we keep our little closets, cupboards, cubbies, cellars, attics. God hasn't gotten there yet. As we grow, it's nothing more. Sanctification is nothing more than let, letting God into more and more space in your life. It means you got to start opening up some closets. And as leaders, we go first. You can't lead somebody to a place you've never been. And you know, leading isn't all about the logistics i got to have this person here and that person there and this resource there and that resource there and this provision here and that thing there and all these places in place. That's really not the majority of what ministry is about because ministry is about people. And you know what that means? You're a people. So God wants to minister to you before you minister to them. You cannot minister out of a dry tank. You will crash and burn. The question is, where has God not got yet? Where have I not let him in? What am I not dealing with? 
Maybe you don't know right now, or maybe you have a very clear idea what it is. Spiritual disciplines are how we stay plugged into God. It's through the spiritual disciplines that, sp that God speaks into your house and tells you about the dark areas that he still wants to, to get into. It's through the spiritual disciplines that he's going to do that. Through word and through prayer and through silence and through solitude and through ministry and, and, you know, and through giving. All those things turn up things that we haven't seen in our life that we need to deal with. for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, don't waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how to work the truth into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been yourself. I pray that God can use this training to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you are anywhere near upstate New York, specifically the Binghamton area, look Pastor Kerry up. He'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and chat about our dynamic relationship with God or about how to do spiritual coaching in your context. Remember, only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Podcast. Thank you.